Welcome to Golf Design Matters. Listen now as golf course architect Scott McPherson presents insights from the inside. Hello, welcome to Golf Design Matters, insights from the inside. I'm Scott McPherson, golf course architect. In this podcast, we discuss exactly what it takes to go from a design vision through the planning and construction to the opening of a golf course and the maintenance thereafter. I will be interviewing golf course owners, operators, designers and shapers, agronomists, ecologists, greenkeepers, golf pros and many more to lift the lid on the secrets of the golf course design industry. If you want to know more about what it takes to create, make and maintain golf courses, you're in the right place. Today we're speaking with Gordon McKee, course manager for the Old Course. Gordon was born in Scotland and hails from Glasgow, has been the Old Course manager for 13 years having served his apprenticeship on the Eden and New Courses in St Andrews. He's only the ninth greenkeeper of the old course since Old Tom, has 14 full-time green staff and nine seasonal interns. He has an early start with uh, first tee times at 6.30. My, that is early. And the golf course has over 50,000 rounds per year. Gordon, welcome to Golf Design Matters. Thanks, Scott. Um, Delighted to be here first interviewee for your podcast, so um, looking forward to it. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, Gordon. Now, of course, you've been in charge of the old course for two Open Championships already, the 2010 and the 2015 Open, and the 2022 Open Championship, the big 150th, is rapidly approaching towards us, and we'll come to talk about that shortly. But I'd like to sort of wind the clock back a little bit and talk about you and how you got into greenkeeping. Um, greenkeeping wasn't something that I really thought as a career. I was always a golfer as a youngster and leaving school and, and before leaving school playing playing golf. I mean, I was brought up in the, the you know, as you, as you said, in Glasgow, one of the things I used to get dropped off at the golf club by my parents on their way to work and generally get picked up on their way home. And so I spent most of my days at a golf club, but I never really thought, that greenkeeping as a career, you know, I used to see guys going around, but it certainly wasn't something as a career. So, um, so probably by default, parents sort of moved. The father moved job, and, and we moved to the north of Scotland just when I was sixteen. Uh, had the last sort of few months of my, of my schooling um, up there, eh? so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I had thought being into mechanical engineering, and then just by chance, I seen a advertisement in the local paper for an apprentice greenkeeper at the local club uh, in Taney and just thought that I played golf, seen what the guy's done, said right I'm just going to apply for it, so applied for the job go for the apprenticeship and really from then never really looked back, just thoroughly enjoyed the, the, the life and the working outdoors and just the variety of, of jobs that do so um yeah that's that's basically how i get into greenkeeping all these years ago so, so that's interesting so you started at tain how long were you there and, and where did you go next yeah so i mean i started at tain um in 1985 and i was there until about uh, 1996 so i'd worked at tain i'd worked my way up i'd done an apprenticeship uh, qualified as an assistant uh, and then i was offered the position of deputy head at tain um, so I was deputy head at 10 for about five years. And then, you know, again, through chance, I'd been involved in Bega, the, the Greenkeepers Association, with my then boss and going and playing golf tournaments. And I'd spoken to various people. And, and one of the guys that I knew who walked up and 
in the north of Scotland at that time was Gordon Moyer. Um, so he, he was down in St Andrews and it was just, just by chance. I'd known him for a few years and he'd said, look, I'm going to be looking for a deputy down in St Andrews and it's going to be advertised and all the rest of it will be up to you. So I had a good think about it, um, seen the advertisement and thought, yeah, right, maybe the time's right, you know, to try something something new. Um, you know, north of Scotland, you could see, I could see the... the boss that I worked for at that particular time he was, he'd been there sort of 20 years, I couldn't see him moving um, so I thought I'm going to have to sort of make the, the move here, so I applied for the job came down to St Andrews, done the interview uh, and was offered the job on Eden course at St Andrews, so came down, moved down worked with Gordon uh, for four years, Gordon was then uh, promoted to position of link superintendent over all the golf courses advertised for a head greenkeeper on Eden, again, applied for that, um, got that job, took over there in 2001 as a head greenkeeper on Eden course. Um, done that until about 2005, um, one of the other guys on worked on the new course had left, um, and Gordon and the general manager had sort of approached me and said, how do you fancy a change and, and moving to the new. So I moved to the new in 2005, and then again two years later, same thing sort of happened. The guy who, the fellow who was on the old course, Ewan Grant, he um, resigned and and moved to another site. And um, you know, the general manager at the time and, and Gordon just approached me again and says, "Look, you know, we think you're ready. How do you fancy the opportunity to, to take over the old course?" So it didn't take too long to sort of make that decision <laughs> and yeah that's I've, I've been here as you say for you know a good number of years and you know working towards this year which will be my third open in charge so um, it, it's such a great place to work and you know thoroughly enjoying it and you know really proud of you know that I've had the opportunity to, to I suppose work through the ranks at St Andrews and gain the experience of you know several golf courses and then take over uh, the ultimate sort of place that many greenkeeper would, would want to apply their trade. Oh, I think you're right. Yes, everybody would love to work at the old course. And I was interested to read that you were only the ninth greenkeeper on the old course since old Tom Morris. No, I mean, absolutely. And again, you know, when I'd done my research, you know, before sort of, you know, taking over on the old, and I, I never really sort of thought about that. And then, you know, we looking through and, Seeing who all the old greenkeepers were, and in relation to old Tom, yeah, that that's a you know a really proud thing as well for for myself in, in terms of single figures. You're only the ninth guy that's ever basically looked after this historic piece of piece of turf. Eh? So that's a really sort of proud, and you know that's all part of the philosophy and how we maintain the golf courses. You know, thinking about what old Tom did and how he done it is you know and we still try to do a lot of that stuff um, to this day. And and it's. You know, January 2022 now, so it's open year for the championship. How are preparations going for you? Yeah, I mean, the preparations are, are pretty good. It's, it is moving very, very fast. I remember sitting here um, in October to start to the Dunhill and thinking, well, seven months from now, and we're starting with the infrastructure. We're now sitting here in January, and seven months from now, we'll be all be finished. So, um, yeah, time does move fast. Um, preparations are going really, really well. Um, obviously, you know, been living through a pandemic for the last uh, couple of years so in terms of the work that, that we would normally have been doing years in advance sort of slowed down round about that time so so this year we've, we've had to take on 
a wee bit more work just to get things the way we want and and that has been mainly around bunkers you know so i mean this year we're we're, we're going to have completed and, and building about rebuilding the revetted faces about 76 bunkers on the course out of the 110 that we have um so that, that's been the main thing we've got a bit of new infrastructure in terms of uh, ducting and, and fibre optics can in underneath the ground um, at the moment that's coming to a conclusion as well and then we've been doing a wee bit of work on the sea defences outside the, the, the 12th uh, championship tee um, as, as well so that's again that probably is going to be finished within the next sort of week to sort of 10 days so you know everything's, everything's been going really well um, big thing for us is the fact that we've had a really mild winter which has allowed us really to crack on um, and, and and get through the work in probably doubly quick time. So, but no, I think we're we're, we're pretty well on schedule, and and you know I think uh, come July we'll we'll have the golf course in a good place for uh, as you say that 150th Open Championship. It's great to hear, and, and it's interesting hearing you talk about revetting bunkers. I know you know from visiting golf courses myself, people are really curious about the process of revetting a bunker, how you actually do that. What's your, what are the keys to revetting bunkers? Um, and, and the key is, is obviously you, when, you, when you build the face, you want to build the face to an appropriate sort of angle, but you, you want to, to to remain in place for a number of years. It's, I mean, it's basically rebuilding a, um, a, a brick wall. Um, but I mean, some of the things that we've, we've learned and done over the years, I mean, we, you used to take down the old turf around the outside of it. Now we tend to try and build underneath it, so we're not affecting the mature turf. Um, the key things are obviously when you're revetting, revetting what do you call it, 76 bunkers. You need to have an ample supply of turf. So we're very lucky in that respect, and that we do have our own sort of turf nurseries, so which we grow our own turf, so we can grow our turf to the, the desired. Um, species that, that, that is required but and, and, and over and above that it's you need to have the the skill level of your staff and you know the, the staff at St Andrews are are, are very sort of proud of I suppose the heritage of, of bunker building and, and to the standard and the quality that they build the bunkers but uh, so having key things is, is having the staff and then this year because we've taken on so much work in and around the bunkers we, we've had a lucky situation with seven golf courses here at the home of golf that you know but i've managed to sort of borrow two or three people from some of the other courses just to bolster the team and, and get through the, the work in doubly quick time mm, that, that, that's true T- timing's important and, and when you were talking about the face angle of those revetted bunkers do the the bunkers have a set angle that you work to on the old course yeah, I mean, greenside bunkers, you'll, you'll look at it on an individual basis on location. Um, and and generally, you would work to, to a 70-degree degree angle on a greenside bunker and then maybe 65 degrees on ferry. Um, but there will be certain greenside bunkers, you know, say, for example, road hole bunker, that you might tweak that 70 degrees to 80 degrees just to make it slightly more of a challenge and, and where it is. So, I mean, greenside bunkers, I think, is... is a bit that you just look at it on merit and its location, um, the how often you think that it's it's probably going to be swallowed up by a golf ball. So that that you, you play about with it, um, but certainly you wouldn't have them on a ninety degree vertical. You would probably eighty to eighty five is maximum that you would you would push these things. <laughs> 
I, I would have thought 30 for me, Gordon, would be sufficient enough of a challenge. I don't think <laughs> 70 or 80 degrees would make much difference, but uh, it's interesting to know. And you just have a stick, I presume. You lay that against the face and it gives you an angle so you, you, you can keep yeah, it online. We, yeah, we, we use an old aluminium sort of flagpole and, and just basically cable tile and an angle sort of master to it, which allows the guys to build that as they're going up and lay that on the face to get the correct angle all the way up. Because it it's very easy. You could start off at 80 degrees, but halfway up the build, if you didn't keep an eye on it, that 80 degrees could turn into 85, could turn into 90. So, if, you know, effects starting to come in in yourself at the top. So it's, that's very, very important that you, you keep monitoring that angle. So it's like whatever the degree, 80 degrees, 75 degrees from bottom to top um, hmm. so that a fairness has been applied. The consistency, I understand that. Um, moving on, there's obviously a few changes to the old course about 2012. Um, a couple of tweaks here and there, a couple of bunkers changed, a little bit of ground was ch changed into you know, so the right side of the sixth green, just into sort of broken ground for a bit more interest, I guess. From a greenkeeping perspective, how was the... How was the process for you? What sort of preparations were made prior to, to doing the work? Uh, how did you tie the bunkers in after the work? Did you need to seed or turf? Any insights into that whole process? Um, in the whole process, obviously, we, we, we worked with, with a course like the old course and Horns from any Open Championship. We worked very, very closely with, with the RNA and um, in, in anything like that, you know. So, yeah, we, we we don't jump in and, and make these decisions sort of sort of lightly. So we had, you know, um, months and years of discussions about what to do because obviously the old course, the, the heritage and the history of the place. It's you know, it's the last thing we want to do is, is to basically to change the golf course and and in any way. And, and if we do change it, make it a lot worse than, than what it's been. So all the improvements we've done, we, we, we certainly feel that have helped him improve the, the playability of the golf course, not only for championship golf, but for the everyday golf that we, we see here. And, you know, the old course is renowned worldwide by amateur golfers as, as their golf course. Um, so I think some of the things that we've done, we, we certainly were making it a lot easier than, um, than, it, than, it, than it had been. And some of the changes, I think, were... Were, were necessary, you know. We, we we generally nowadays are seeing fifty thousand rounds a year of golf, um, and a lot of um, you know pinch points in the course. You know, we mentioned some of the broken ground, etc. Used to go, example, on two, four, and six was the two or the three areas that we we broke the ground off. But it used to come off of these greens and near enough directly just walk on to the next tee um, on flat ground. Um, you know, so just felt that that was something that was required to be required to be done. But in the process is that you know we'll speak to the RNA. Um, they'll have ideas. We'll have ideas. Uh, we need then go through our local committees. You know, we we have committees here at Sandrews. We have trustees here, so we have to push everything through there, get approval to to do that work, um, engage with an architect. Um, and at that time, we, we used um, Hawtree, Martin Hawtree, mm -hmm. um, and done that. But one of the big challenges we had when we were doing all that, that work is because the, I mean, the old courses obviously just um, come out of 
the elements, God's work, etc. There's no, no architect had ever designed it, so we we didn't have any sort of uh, topogra- topographical plans. So for the first time, we had to to get that way to fly a to fly a drone to try and get some imagery of the golf courses just to, to see where everything was and levels and you know etc. So that we could work with work, work with these things. So, um, but I mean the, the process was. It was quite a quick process, um, and one of the advantages I think working in St Andrews, and particularly when you're dealing with an organisation like that, and they're right on your doorstep, they are our, pretty well our neighbours. Um, so it's, um, it, yeah, it was a quick process, and um, but yeah, there was obviously a lot of challenges, a challenges to that. Um, no, no seeding was done; it was all turf, so we we tried to lift the, the existing turf, you know, because mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the. The problems I, I, I tend to see in any, any winter when you're doing any sort of work at all, when you when you lift the existing turf and if you replace it with um, a different turf from a different area, um, and you buy turf in, it's going to take so much longer to try and get that to sort of tie in with the existing um, turf you have. So we, we're possible. We we will always try and lift and and reuse what we can so we got most of most of that down yeah we'd maybe you know we got seven golf courses as i mentioned earlier we did have to go and sort of um steal borrow some turf um from some of the, the other courses just to finish the work to, to finish the work off uh, and then after that you know it's just a case of working in that turf and lots of aeration lots of top dressing and fertilizing and just trying to mature that turf as best you possibly can. So, um, but you know, as we sit here, you know, near ten years now since we've done that alterations, I think that you know, I would I would like to think that most of the the, the alterations that we've made have have now been accepted, not not just locally but worldwide. Um, and you know, it's uh, I think it's uh, in, in my view, you know, obviously you got the old course which is. You know, arguably the the most famous golf course in the world historically, and I mentioned how it's just been carved out by by Mother Nature. But it's like all golf courses evolve, um, and sometimes changes have to be made. And it was interesting, for example, you know, the eleventh green was was altered, which was obviously quite a controversial thing. But when we lifted all the turf off the the eleventh green and, and started doing the excavations there, it was amazing that. You know, we were taking sand off the top, but then we get down and we found this sort of black layer, which generally can be a turf layer. So we're thinking that the green has naturally, the green has naturally risen and changed its shape, like it will do in any golf course, just by the the top dressing applications that green staff will do. Um, so effectively, the green was so much different than what it was when it was first sort of sort of laid out but you know the challenge is now in, in something with the green that you have in terms of is the expectations so mm-hmm. nowadays everybody wants um, tighter mown turf and they want faster green speeds you know but when you've got exposed surfaces and exposed areas then you know you know the, the things that, that, that stop you from, from getting that um, so yeah so as I say golf courses evolve and you know, even the the old course, it has to evolve, and you know, changes have to happen. And I'm sure, in, in the 
600 or so years, and particularly the last 100 years, you know, even somebody like old Tom, he, he made some changes to the course, I'm sure. But And, and that's just, that's always just going to be the case. Yes, days, that's right. And, and those old Tom changes are, you know, fairly well documented from the new first green to the new 18th green yeah. and bits and pieces. You mentioned there briefly about the uh, the black turf under the section of the 11th green that was softened. What was the depth difference, do you think, between where the, where you found that, the, perhaps the old... Oh, um, and thinking back and, and roughly off my te- off, off the, the top of my head, you, you certainly would have you certainly been looking three, four feet um, at least of, of, of fresh sand. And, you know, for me, you need to dig into that. And, you know, I know myself and you, you get on a weekly basis and you, you change the holes and if you, you look at the, pro, the profile of a core... Um, of, of a hole cut, and you, you can see all the different profiles of sand mm. over over the years. But I, certainly, that there was you know you would certainly been looking three to four feet when we were down eh? um, Wow! And you know, so that just shows you. You, you think over, you know, old, old Tom is, is the, the godfather of top dressing and applying sand, and you know, so in, in any place in the world, it's. You know something that we continue to do is applying sand, and we're applying it, applying a lot of sand mm. every year. I mean, like, you know, so for example, on the greens, we're aiming to try and get between 250 and 300 ton of sand just on the green surfaces each year. So you, you times that over the years, and you're going to get build up, mm. natural so build up, potentially three feet. Time. That that green is maybe three feet higher than it was in old Tom's yeah. day. Yeah, absolutely, and, mm. and, and this is all. You know the new technology now in terms of you know GPS and things, and that was one of the things that we did do when we we done it. We we GPS that Mark Green so that at some point in the future we can go back and say, well, actually, since we done that in 2012, actually the Green has actually changed ever so slightly yet again, um, and that that'll be something that, that that we'll be able to sort of sort of tell but you know as professionals as greenkeepers you know that's what happens because you apply anything to a surface it's changing that surface mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that's yeah, fascinating that's isn't good. it mm, yeah and and it's it's logical um but it's you, you just uh, it's so incremental i guess and so slow that you, you wouldn't notice it individually month by month yeah. year by year but over a hundred years or or more um yeah. that makes uh, perfect sense um i'm interested i've got a, a couple of questions for you gordon as sort of you know, as we as the industry moves on, I'm interested in your thoughts on ecology. Are you finding that's a, a bigger consideration with your modern greenkeeping? Oh, I mean, I mean, absolutely, and particularly somewhere like St Andrews and you know, Muller Links Golf Course on on the coast, we, we, we've been carrying out environmental ecological practices for 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 years and years, and it's it's. I mean, to us, it's actually it's it's actually it's actually key that you know because that's that's one of the key things in, in keeping golf courses the, the way they are and and you know bird life and all sorts of things you know can controlling all of that and so it's absolutely a key thing for us to 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 be concerned about um, and and look I mean a golf course is a great ecological environment for wildlife and for nature. Um, and it, it certainly, it's changing probably for a lot of places, but for a lynx environment, it's always been there, and it's always been something that you know we've been very con- concerned about, is, is trying to encourage the right 
species, the right wildlife um, and into our site um, to, to help protect it for the generations going forward. Well, I guess that's right, because in many ways you're stewards, aren't you? If you're the ninth greenkeeper since old Tom, there'll be a tenth and an eleventh and twelfth, and in many ways you're looking after the, the ground for the next person. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So well, Yeah, and, and that, that's all we're here. I mean, you see, we're custodians here, particularly at St Andrews. I'm a custodian. Um, yeah, I'm the head greenkeeper course manager. Um, I'm here to look after this site for the next person, um, and and even through you know an interview process of coming in here, your thoughts and your philosophies and how to maintain this type of golf course is you know is, is quite unique. And you know we try to do the same things really that old Tom done. You know we try to encourage the, the finer grasses, the fescues. Um, bent grasses um, we're trying to still apply sand um, to the greens um, probably more than what, what he would have done because that's a, a key practice and and given the playing quality, quality that that we desire um, the different challenges that we have now that, that Tom wouldn't have had is, is the popularity of the game um, the amount of people that play now so that, that can have an effect in how you manage the golf courses um, so that's a slight wee thing that you have to change, but um, yeah, total custodian trying to look after it, pass it on to the tenth, then that'll be passed on to the eleventh, as you said. Um, but we always say that MD that comes here and wants to radically change how you manage this golf course um, will not be the right person. Mm. There's certain things, certain things are controlled, and you know, and you do it for the right reasons because of the history of the place. You know, it's interesting what you said about the the changes since old Tom and, and certainly the game has, the game has grown in popularity. Do you think there's also been any sort of physical changes maybe to the grass types in in that period? Um, yeah, I mean, def- definitely. I mean, I mean, I've worked hard in, in, in my tenure to, to to turn things around. And, yeah, I mean, there is fescue out there. Um, yeah, we do have a good, good taker a fescue particularly on the greens but we also we, we, we do have um, bent grasses we have rye grasses we have Yorkshire Fog we have Poanya um, but and generally that's that's down to how the golf course is played it's quite a unique golf course and you know double seven double greens and um, all the exit points from every greens on the right hand side so the right hand sides of the greens are quite worn and so with all that traffic, if you think 50,000 rounds of golf a year, plus, say, 25,000 caddy rounds a year, so you get 75,000 rounds of golf. We're, we're open 300, I was going to say 364 days a year, because normally we're closed, closed on Christmas Day, but people still play the course on Christmas Day. Um, so we are open 365 days of the year, okay, albeit we're closed on Sundays for, for maintenance. Um so we're putting a lot of traffic through there. So how you manage the surfaces has to be different. Um, and, you know, we've, you know, fescue is never going to survive that amount of traffic. Um, and it was interesting going through the, the pandemic when the golf course was closed for approximately about 10 weeks a couple of years ago. And it was just basically me and three of my staff sort of looking after the, the golf course and the, one of the big things that you know we learned out of that with no golf was how the fescue 
on the greens absolutely flourished without having that traffic. Um, and and you know one of the things we've done because you know the, the you know when we had no caddies and you know we had no tourism here, so we'd, we'd allowed local golfers to go back and use trolleys, which is still the case. Um, so we've actually seen an improvement in the surfaces, and it's basically because there's less traffic actually on the green. Um, there is a detriment to that because with trolley use, we're are starting to see a lot more wear patterns around the greens because of that trolley use. But it just it's just shown us that you know the fescue is there. It, it just needs time to to withstand the traffic. Mm. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword, and you know, do you try and protect your greens and either not have caddies? No, you could not have caddies. Do you have caddies but allow caddies to take trolleys? But so, so you have to manage it as best you can. Um, and one of the things that we have been doing over the last sort of few years is, is trying to maybe increase the bent grass population, the brown top bent, because that's a slightly more resilient grass that, that can withstand wear and tear, but it's still a good length type grass. Um, and that, that's one of the things that I suppose that, that is, the, the, as a greenkeeper, you have to be adaptable. Um, to change and you have to change with to the conditions that you're presented you, you know you, you don't think you can you can do your job through a textbook and because the textbook says right okay this this really should be dominantly fescue let's keep on putting fescue in there and, and try to change the poor to fescue change the bent to fescue change the, the ryegrass to fescue because you're not going to win that battle it's getting that um i suppose that monoculture of all the right grasses and and, and managing everything so that you do have um a desirable sort of sort of putting surface and look I mean, as the are main tournament organizers this is such a unique place um and you know the conversation with a couple of pros at the dunhill who've been coming here for 20 years and you know one of them sort of stopped and spoke to me and he says what have you done what have you done to the greens this is this is I've just been sort of doing a lot more overseeding, you know, been seeding with fescue and, and seeding with Ben. And he says, well, whatever you're doing, it's making a difference because these, in the 20 years that I've been coming to Standards to play golf, I've never seen the greens looking as well as what they do now. So that's, you know, that, 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 that's good. And, you know, and that, that's what we're all about. It's, it's um, giving everybody, people, customers and you know everybody's our customers you know pro golfers are our customers local golfers are our customers tourism americans australians you know forever they come from around the world they're all our customers um, and as greenkeepers you know it's our passion to to really provide the conditions that people mm. can enjoy themselves yeah i'm glad you touched on the impact of the pandemic it's really interesting to hear uh, and certainly their high performance sur surfaces you know for, for golfers of all levels and and um, you know it's easy to get focused on the open championship but as you say there's people uh, this is a once in a lifetime thing they've saved up their money and they come to st andrews and you've got locals who have the opportunity to play it almost every day Hearing you talk about the double greens, the seven double greens that you've got, then obviously they are they are massive. What's the trick to cutting them and keeping a straight line? Uh -huh. um, uh, Slightly quick answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> quick answer to that is is really just you know yeah, it's difficult. 
um, particularly if it's dry. I'll give you an example of the 5th and 13th green, which is probably about, you know, one of the, the largest greens. You know, I mean, a start in that, you know, one person with a 22-inch more sort of walk that green and cut it, you know, they would, they would take them about an hour and a half and they'd walk about seven and a half miles. So, um, and the trick to cut in a straight line, it's really good to pick some. Don't, don't look at the ground. You've got to pick something on the horizon, and that's your marker. Um, that that's a difficult thing, eh? <laughs> Years of experience. <laughs> they do a great job. It was a slightly, it was a slightly jovial question, but um, as, as soon as you started talking about double greens, it made me think of. Uh, sometimes I've been out there, and you, you can see this, and the, these amazing straight lines, and you think, well, that has to have taken some practice. <laughs> uh, I mean, we've had, you know interns that have come from various parts of the world and you know when you cut greens we walk mode greens I walk around the greens all the time and that's right okay well, you'll, you'll never have walk mode anything like this and you know I'll be fine I'll be fine and you send them out there and pff, yeah it, it's different it's very different but that's <laughs> the uniqueness of the old course it is. It is indeed. Uh, well, I guess one final question. I, it's been brilliant to hear everything you've, you, you've said, and I'm, I'm keen, though, to get your thoughts on maybe the future of the industry. We're moving towards electric mowers and more tech associated with all this, all this sort of stuff. What do you see from your side? Yeah, well, when, you know, firstly, in, in the past, and, you know, some of the great innovations that, you know, I've been able to sort of work with, and probably one of the the first things would have been the, the introduction of the lightweight roller, which was an absolutely fantastic sort of sort of tool when 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 that arrived. Um, that's probably starting to not quite become redundant, um, but there's different technologies now. But but you know, in technologies like apps via your phone technology, moisture meters, firmness meters, um, all these sort of gadgets. You know, sensors that you can put in the ground to to control your your moisture levels to give you an indication of how much water that you need to apply. So the tools that we have now, we're in more in control that we can make informed decisions. You know, a lot of greenkeeping life is, um, you know, as I say, you can never be a greenkeeper based in an office. I mean, your office is your turf. You need to be assessing your turf with your eyes um, because, you know, a sensor might tell you that you've lost five millimetres of evaporation through the day. You need to put five millimetres back on. But when you go back, when you go out there and walk, walk the turf, you know for exactly that that's not the case. It's maybe just needing three millimetres. So you've got to, the technology is there to, to try and advise you, but you still need to, you know, have the ability to, through experience, Known your golf course, known the various areas of your golf course, what that would do. So that you've, you've got all that, but you know the electric moors is, is the next big thing. You know that's that's huge, um, and you know that, that that's going to sort of really change the, the industry. Um, over and above that, robotic moors. Uh, we're living in an area where technology technology is really moving at fast pace. You just have to drive your car on the road and you see the amount of fully electrical vehicles so our industry is going to benefit from that hugely but I mean robotic wars that's that that will happen um, and I would say in the next 10 years that there is going to be robotic wars on on the golf course uh, are you trialing any sort of things like electric mowers at the moment at the moment um yeah I mean I at the moment I have two um fully electric 
mowers which I, I use on on the greens. You know, so they're sort of ride on triple mowers. So I, at the moment, I use two of them. Um, the next time I change my machinery around, I'm looking to up that and take another four of them. So having six fully electric mowers. Um, but that's our goal. That's certainly our goal is to have that technology because you know running golf courses, it costs a fuel. You know, you just look around you now and you, you know, you, you go and fill your car up. That price is rising. So when you've got, you know, a, a vast site and you've got a vast amount of machinery, you know, anything that you can save in in, in terms of your your fuel, your fuel outage and and moving to electric is is definitely the way forward. I was a bit sort of wary of that when we first got them, but I have to can sit here two years in, and absolutely the the best piece of kit that we we have. Um, and you know, it's, it's it's only costing you what it costs you to to charge. The only worry you have with an electric mower is is that human error that somebody basically plugs it in to to charge. But in terms of what it can do for the turf, it's doing the same thing that a diesel mower would do it. But yet you're doing it um, more sort of cost effective um, at the moment. Yeah, obviously at the moment they're still quite an expensive piece of kit to buy, but. As the car technology grows, that's when we speak to our suppliers, they, they, they're following the car industry. When the car industry gets into it, the cost comes down because they have to produce more and more of the parts for the cars, but our industry can tap into that. But mm. You're going to see that robotic mowers, we don't have any robotic mowers here yet. I have seen robotic mowers um, in Europe, and by that, you know, I mean a fully operational fairway mower that is mowing a fairway on its own, GPS, um, and and that potentially will come. But I see it. I see it being that you know we'll, we'll have areas like say driving ranges, you know. So you're putting balls all day in a driving range, and it gets very hard to get in there and get that cut. Whereas you know that might be something where you have a robotic mower that comes out of its shed at one o'clock in the morning and goes and mows that driving range when the place is empty um, and, and do that. And then the other way I see it is that you potentially you might have, say, three, four fairway mowers, but you might have the lead mower is operated by a human and then you might have another two mowers coming behind that are basically just following that person round. But, uh, it's amazing to think, isn't it, that this the old course is a great historic spot, and yet in many ways it's also an adapter for sort of early technology. It's it's working both at both ends of um, the the spectrum, which is which is great to hear. Uh, I guess the last question, Gordon, um, unless you unless there's anything to add on that point. Yeah, I mean the only thing I was going to going to say in that, and it's like you know, when the robotic wars come, it's not necessarily going to mean that you're going to need less stuff. It will allow you to use your current staff. You've got a robotic mower that doesn't need an operator, but you know you could be using what was an operator doing or something on the finer detail of the golf course. Mm. You know, I mean, I mean I've, I've not seen robotic mowers in Europe, and it was set up so the, the you know the operator brings it out, sets it on its way, cuts the ferry. But while that's mowing that ferry, the operators get up and tend into the bunkers on the hole. He's tending to the green, changing the hole. So it's it's not necessarily that's the big fear. I think that people think, oh, robotic mowers. That means that we're we're going to lose um, qualified personnel. 
no, not necessarily. It, it just allows you to put more finer detail into how you present your golf course. That's a good point. You do, you know, so, That's a good um, point. Hey, what, so what, fi- finally, I guess, what tips would you have for people who maybe have an interest in greenkeeping and want to move into the industry? Oh, um, I mean, tip, look, it, it's a great job. I, mean, I started off saying that, you know, I, I played golf as a, as a youngster and, yeah, you unconsciously seen guys <laughs> maintain the golf course, but you, you never really thought of it as a career. But, you know, if anybody's interested in getting into greenkeeping, it's like, you know, come join us. Come join us. It's a great career. And, you know, there's so many options to to develop into other areas. Um, and, you know, in, in your, your trade as an architect, getting the experience of being a greenkeeper for, for part of your early life will probably, you know, give you so much in what you do in terms of designing golf courses. But, you know, there's so many other areas that you could you could move into and, you know, um, and the technology side, etc. And then the, the big thing that you know I try to say certainly to youngsters is that you know, the opportunity to travel, to travel the world. You know, you work in a golf course and you you can go anywhere in the world and you, you'll pick up work. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of pluses um, to get into. And if you like the outdoor life, uh, etc. And, and you know, it's it's, it's a good career um, choice for a lot of people. And it's some some we're trying to encourage here at St Andrews is trying get a lot more um, youngsters into it um, and, you know, and, and trying to give them the opportunity to, to develop their their career, develop their skills. And, mm. I've certainly noticed that, and, and even women as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That, it's another thing we're, trying to, we're keen to try and, and, and get some more female uh, greenkeepers into the into the industry. Um, we currently have two here um, at St Andrews, so that, that obviously quite sort of, sort of proud of that. Um, as well, but yeah, we do need to get more and more um, females and and more sort of youngsters into. It. There, there's so many. It's a good starting point. There's so many different avenues that you can go down, um, and probably more than when I started my career. But there's so many different avenues. I mean, you tend to find greenkeeping probably 30, 40 years ago. A lot of the uh, the greenkeepers that are now probably retired were were probably guys that were, and they'll admit, say this themselves, so maybe be field golfers or they never quite made it as a golfer. And then, so the next option was they dropped into, well, if I kind of make it and play golf, I'll look after the golf course. Um, and, you know, so I suppose in my way, I was never a great golfer, but I enjoyed playing golf. I still enjoy playing golf, and, you know, but never really seen it. But we actively, as greenkeepers, need to go, go out there and, and promote this industry and promote it. As a, as a career, because it's, it's, it's it, like every industry, there's there's challenges ahead, um, and, and certainly um, getting people to to fill Marrow to find the tenth um, greenkeeper to look after the golf, because I'm sure it'll not be hard. Be, <laughs> be but you know, you, those you, are big you, shoes to fill, Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's interesting what you're saying about old, about uh, professionals falling into golf, because I guess that's another historic connection back to old Tom he was a professional yeah. golfer in, in the way it was in those times but also a greenkeeper so that's that's been a historic link between playing and maintaining golf courses as well no I mean, I mean absolutely when you, when you go back and you think somebody like Walter Woods who was the link superintendent years ago and he and not here at St Andrews but I know when you look back at his career he was at one point he was you know prof- 
professional green keeper, so he was doing what old Tom was doing, and I think a lot of these older green keepers, who most of them are not with us now, that's exactly what they were doing. They were good golfers, and then they get into green keeping. But that's the thing we need to change around. We need to find people getting into green keeping first, and then getting into the golf. You know. Um, well. Well, I hope so, and, and certainly maybe this podcast will help inspire people to take it up. Gordon, best of luck with the months ahead in the Open in July. It's going to be a, a, a wonderful event, obviously high profile, lots of TV coverage, um, but lots of work for you as you prepare for that and on the uh, certainly the weeks and leading up to it. But thanks again for your time today. It's been really interesting hearing you speak about the old course. It's a, it's in a wonderful place, and you've done a great job for the last 12 or 13 years. <laughs> Yep, thanks Scott, thoroughly enjoyed it uh, and yeah, hopefully yeah, everybody will, will listen to this and, and want to come and see the places they've not seen it um, or come and join us if you want to become a greenkeeper then I kind of advocate it so it's a good career for you all to do Great, that's Gordon McKee Golf Course Manager for the Old Course I'm Scott McPherson and this is Golf Design Matters Insights from the Inside Thanks for listening to Golf Design Matters. For more information, visit scottmcphersongolfdesign.com. Till next time, enjoy your golf. (laughs) 